Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm so excited about today's show. It's just me, so if you've expected a guest and are tuning in, you got the wrong show because today it's just going to be about me. Uh, or I'm, I'm the only speaker, shall we say. But before we get rolling with what I hope is going to be a wonderful topic, let me do a few announcements. The last two conferences of the year are coming up on Thursday, December 5th, and that's in Louisville, Kentucky, and there are still a few spots left for that. So if you've not yet signed up, I just would encourage you to do that immediately so that you can be sure to get your space or your spot. And Indianapolis on Friday, December 6th has sold out, and I've gotten some emails about that, and I want to say, I told you to sign up early. I told you the room was little. And so I know some folks have um, contacted me about that, and I may not have gotten back to you yet, but that that location is sold out. But, you know, Louisville is only two hours from Indy, and if you live south of there, it's even closer. So come on down to Louisville. We welcome you with open arms, and you can uh, be with us on Thursday, December 5th. And the topic that day, the course name is Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. So come join us for what's going to be a fun day. Speaking of building verbal imitation in toddlers, and especially for you Indiana people who didn't get to sign up and wanted to come, I am about to release that course on DVD, and I'm hoping that's going to be done in December. So if you are waiting on some last-minute CEUs, that would be a super way for you to pick that up. And what I've started saying to people is, you know, sometimes we in early intervention have to kind of make do with our continuing education courses. You'll go to a course that's really designed for therapists or speech language pathologists who are working with older children and then we're somehow supposed to water down those techniques or adapt them to (laughs) be applicable to our little guys in early intervention and birth to three programs or even in that earlier preschool period where the children are still functioning in that developmental period of birth to three. None of my courses are like that. They are entirely for those of us who specialize in early intervention. So, again, be smart about your continuing education. You've got to spend the money. You've got to do the time. So it might as well be with a course that will, I promise, make a difference in your everyday practice as a pediatric. Spit things out. You can get all of that information on my website at teachmetotalk.com, or if you need more personal assistance, you can always, always, always email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com. All right. Uh, One other option for, I should have said this a little bit earlier before I wrap that up, the parts, the individual sections of my first course that's on DVD, Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor, That morphed, as I told you before, into a 12-hour course as we were videoing that. And that course now is available in smaller chunks with a social skill section, a receptive language section, an expressive skill section, and then a speech intelligibility section. And if if you don't want to do the full 12 hours, you can buy that piece by piece by piece now. So that's an option, too, for those of you who maybe only need three or four CEUs to finish out your licensure requirements for this year and you're just not sure about the whole 12-hour course, that's another option that's available. So again, you can check all that out at teachmetotalk.com. All right. I want to make an announcement about next week's show so that I don't forget it at the end. Next week, Tatiana, who is the speech pathologist who was on last week, talking about genetic syndromes, is going to come back. Uh, If you listen to last week's show, you'll remember that at the end, we were specifically discussing children who have been internationally adopted and all of the the issues and the layers of, of factors that we consider when we are working with those children. Uh, Tatiana has a lot of experience, just a wealth of experience in, in treating families with children that they've adopted internationally. And I've seen a lot of children um, who also 
and, and work with families or children who have come home to families waiting for them in the United States. So that show is going to be next week. It'll be on Tuesday since Tatiana could not accommodate our regular Monday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern time into her schedule, but we're doing the show live on Tuesday, December, I think it's the 3rd, whatever, whatever date next Tuesday is, um, live at noon. So join us for that. And again, anytime if you can't catch the show live, you know that you can listen uh, from teachmetotalk.com by clicking on the blog talk radio icon or, as most of you do, download that through iTunes or whatever podcast place you happen to get the show from. So I wanted to mention next week's show so I can give her a special plug. She also this week started a page, a Facebook page, and I wonder if it's in response to our show. I'll have to ask her that next week. For um, it's, I believe it's called Genetics and the Speech-Language Pathologist. So if you're on Facebook every day, as most of you are, Check that out. It's a new page, and I think it'll. It's just going to be great, especially if you, if you're working with a child or new a new kid on caseload has a syndrome. You've never worked with a child with that particular syndrome before, and you need some quick information. I think that that's the super super place to start. In addition to googling and all the other things we do, but sometimes talking with a person, even if it's via Facebook message or on Twitter talking with another therapist who's had some personal experience treating a child and working with a family who's dealing with that kind of syndrome can just be awesome as a resource for you so that you can bounce ideas off them and really, again, get that firsthand experience, which is sometimes very different from what you would read about, say, at a more academic site. So I'm excited about that page. And Tatiana did not know that I was going to plug her page today, so I hope she appreciates that little praise of the work that she's doing. All right, let's move on. Oh, one more announcement. We are going to start free shipping for this holiday period. We always run this big sale this time of year at teachmetotalk.com, and that will begin tomorrow on Tuesday, November 26th, and it will run probably, maybe, through Christmas. Uh, So if you've been wanting to order a teachmetotalk.com product, Now is the time because you'll get shipping on that, so I'm excited about that as well. Okay, let's move on to today's topic. We're going to be discussing play ideas for kids who don't like toys. Now, I've done this show for five years now, and I don't think that we've ever had a show with this particular topic. Now, certainly, I've talked about that in the past. We've probably mentioned these kinds of kids before because goodness knows we see them on our caseloads in early intervention, but I'm not sure that we've ever had one whole show devoted to that. And let me tell you why I decided to do uh, this particular topic. Last week I was on a Facebook page somewhere. I don't know if it was SLP or maybe it was an early intervention um, SLP page on Facebook, and there was a great link for a downloadable book by Friendship Circle, and that's another great organization. If you've never heard of them or followed them, they're certainly worth your time. It's called Friendship Circle. I believe it's .org. And they offered last week as a little promotion this great 66-page downloadable book and toys for children with special needs. And the title is A Comprehensive Guide to Finding the Right Toy for Your Child with Special Needs. And what they've done at Friendship Circle is put together lots of different blog posts from special educators, from therapists, our friend Katie from playing that 365. um, I I think I'm probably mispronouncing or misspeaking with the name of her the name of her website, but Katie, who's on a few weeks ago, her, she's written a great article in there about choosing toys for your special for your child with special needs or a child with language delays. So again, lots of great bloggers that you will recognize their names as you read through. And the the title that really caught my attention from this post is or this that book that downloadable book is today's topic you know what do you do 
for kids who don't like to play with toys. And so the author there is Karen Wang, and I've read Karen's work before. She's a mom and a great a great mom and has cute little blog posts. And her her article here is the spinoff or the foundation for today's show. So I want to be sure and give her a plug. So I'm going to take some of the things she's recommended and talk about how I've used them in the past in therapy with children or think, gosh, in the future, this is what I'm going to do if i get got a kid who likes this kind of object. These kinds of ideas are also very relevant for those of you who work in states or in programs or agencies who don't like you to take toys into homes and they they want you to use what the family have available for um, you to play with and for some families that's just slim pickings when you're looking for something to do at their home families may not have lots of resources they may struggle with being organized so that if there's a nine-piece puzzle, there are only two pieces there. Or This happens in daycares all the time. You'll go in and so many of the toys are old and broken or in some state of disrepair, and it's just terribly hard to come up with ideas for how to play with those kinds of toys when they're not really usable in their current state. And again, these kinds of ideas, we, we all need to be able to think on our feet and be and come up with okay, here's a blanket. What are three or four little fun things that I can do with the blanket? Or here's a laundry basket. What are some things that I can do with this laundry basket that would be developmentally appropriate, a.k.a. fun, <laughs> that a kid would want to do with you? Plus, how can I target language with these kinds of things? And again, these toys are also relevant for our little friends who don't seem to like toys. And a lot of times parents will will call it that, say, well, he, she doesn't like to play with very many things or he doesn't like any toy I buy him. I've bought tons and tons and tons of toys and he just seems to have no interest. Usually when that happens, there's an underlying reason. Usually we can, and again, it may take some detective work or some clinical thinking on your part to really boil down What's going on with a kid like this? And I'll tell you an example of a little boy that I'm working with now. I've talked about him a lot on this show. It's my five-year-old little friend named Andrew. And, again, for those of you who've heard me speak, you've seen video of him when he was in early intervention, and I worked with him when he was one and then two, and then I lost touch with him and then had started seeing him again right before he turned five. And so now he's five, and that's old for me. I specialize in birth to three, birth to four, uh, but he's a kid like this. And when you when you first talk with his grandmother or his dad or whoever you know happens to be with him in therapy, they that's one of the first things they'll say about him is he doesn't like anything. He doesn't really like toys. It's not really that. It he has so such a hard time with motor skills development or use because he has cerebral palsy, he's had a stroke, he's just had tons and tons of issues that result in disordered or impaired or whatever label you want to say, whatever word kind of floats your boat there. He he has a hard time doing any kind of skill that requires fine motor coordination. Well, guess what, folks? That's includes about every kind of toy that you would ever want to play with. And so to say that he doesn't like toys doesn't really encompass everything that's going on with Andrew. And that happens with a lot of kids. I've seen other other moms who will say that about a child and, and she'll say that kind of thing and then you'll start to really look and it's because their sensory processing systems are so, their their needs are so great that they really can't pay attention to anything that's not, um, that doesn't provide lots of visual input. So there have to be, you know, lights there and preferably blinking lights to really kind of capture that child's attention and make him stop long enough to want to pay attention to the toy that you're using. And that's why so many of those children are really captivated by all of those darn 
irritating music toys and <laughs> those little computer toys. That's why kids like this like apps and, or like music videos or whatever. And again, when a parent tells you that a child doesn't like something, don't immediately go into, you're completely wrong about your take on this child. That, that's not what you're there for. You need to explain to a parent all the things that you know and all of the underlying reasons why it appears that the child doesn't like toys. And again, some of us are better at that than others, at not completely sticking our feet in our mouth when we're talking about these things and completely, um, you know, just making a mom upset or, or making them feel like you've, you've totally dismissed what they're saying or making them feel incompetent in their assessment of what their child likes and, and doesn't like. And, you know, frankly, that mom's more of an expert on that child than you will ever be because she's the child's mom. And so, again, I'm not saying this so that we go in, you know, guns a-blazing so that we're telling parents, you know, the real reason, but you can certainly work that into the conversation. So, again, wanted to kind of mention that before we get going today and talking about these specific common everyday objects that we can use and how we some fun ideas for using them with children. But I, I want you to look past the, as a therapist, as, as a professional, I want you to get pretty good at looking past the he doesn't like toys and kind of uncover the reasons and when you can gently insert that into your conversations with parents so that you're explaining why a particular toy may not work for where the child is currently functioning or why a, a child seems to be attracted to a certain kind of toy or even a certain non-toy and why that object seems to captivate that child's attention, whereas other things might not work. And so, again, that's what parents need us for, that, that professional opinion or that, that knowledge base that you have that a mom or dad don't have. So, so interject those things and, again, do it with, with kindness and with sensitivity, knowing that that's why you're there. So you can explain that and give your going to go down Karen Wang's great list from this article. I'll skip a whole section of that, and I'll tell you why when I get there. But I'm going to talk about the things that she suggested, tell you how I would use them, and then I've got some little areas where we kind of go off on a tangent, and I talk about some other things that are loosely related and why. Okay, her first everyday item that she likes is a flashlight. Now, how many of you have children, your own children, who are fascinated with flashlights? Our oldest son, Jonathan, who's now 24, loved flashlights so much so that we gave him a flashlight on nearly every occasion. If Johnny and I didn't give it to him, somebody did. My parents did. My brothers did. Everybody. There was a new flashlight for every birthday, every Christmas, every Easter basket almost because he loved them. He was totally, totally enraptured when he had a flashlight. And so it's a hugely popular toy. I've heard other parents say that as well. Let's talk about some kids, though, who may not like. Well, let's, let's save that. Let's go on to fun ideas for things that, that you can do with kids who love flashlights and are really attracted to that kind of thing. What can you do? Well, first of all, you can play any kind of game where something is hiding and you're using the flashlight to find it. And if you work in a setting where you can turn the lights off, that is all the better. One little guy on my caseload right now named Miles who is three, almost three and a half now, who loves turning off lights. And while that is mildly annoying to his mom, and on some days, even me, <laughs> it's still a lot of fun for him. And so what could you do with that? Well, I have great uh, magnets on my wall. We could use a, or on my um, oil drip pans. If you've been on Pinterest, you've probably seen that before, that idea where you get that five-buck oil drip pan from Walmart or I think mine are from Napa or store and you drill that baby into the wall and then you use your magnets and I don't use magnetic letters because you know how I feel about ABCs and one two threes and shapes and colors if you've listened to the show you know for more than a time or two I save all that academic stuff for later but I have magnets of animals of vehicles of familiar characters with children I have a toy story set that are always on my wall so that would be a lot of fun to take the flashlight and shine them on an individual object now if the 
child, if, if it's an expressive goal, you could have the child name the object. If you're working on answering questions, you could do some things with, you know, swears. If you're working on prepositions, you you might, you know, do some do some work with that. With um, you know, having various locations. You know, is it in? You, know, you could maybe have some things set up where there's some water, or there's you know, you've also have a little magnetic barn there where you're going to put your magnets in and out and do some things with that. If it's a receptive goal, you could have the child instead of pointing with his fingers or grabbing as toddlers like to do when you say, where's the doggy? Find a doggy. You could have them point with a flashlight. And for so many children who are easily distracted, I can see that this would be a winner. It would be a big, big hit. So try using a flashlight, especially if you've had some difficulty getting a child who already likes flashlights to be able to um, do some activities like that. You could probably even use that really well with the book. With a kid who didn't like books, you know, introduce a flashlight, and I bet he'll sit through three or four pages. So try that one. Um, let's also talk about kids who may not like a flashlight. What could you do? And this was how the author's son was. She said that her son was frightened by toys with blinking lights when he was little. Um, and so they really used the flashlight to desensitize his phobia with bright lights. And so that might be some way that you could do that too for our kids who um, are a little aversive to that kind of um, visual input. So try that as well. She suggests the mini mag light. And if you get the Friendship Circle download, and again, I got this, um, you can like their Facebook page and then I think that was a promotional thing last week where if you liked it, they sent you an email link and then you downloaded um, the page. And so if you get that particular document, you can. she's got some great links so you can see the specific toys that she's recommending. And she says the mini Maglite is the right size for little hands, and it has a blink mode too if you have kids who are uh, really sensitive to blinking lights and you want to work in some desensitization with that toy. So I think it's a great idea. I think, you know, on and off, of course, it's going to be tons of fun for kids to work with that. Any of you DIs or developmental therapists, special instructors who also have to incorporate fine motor into your treatment plans and, and we speech pathologists who treat a whole kid regardless of what's written on that darn IFSP, we're certainly looking, looking at a child's fine motor skills. So, uh, any kind of uh, flashlight, whether it's that switch back and forth kind of action that you would do or even whether it's a button that you would want to push on and off, that would be a great way to expand a child's play who likes uh, pushing buttons uh, perseveratively. <laughs> I can barely say that today. That just means repeatedly over and over and over. They're perseverating on that. What can, you know? How can you expand play for those kinds of kids who want to you know delete toy? They want to do that same button a a a a over and over and over. Maybe using a flashlight where they can still push the button there, but you're giving it a different twist and you'll add your language goal in there to play. So flashlight would be a great 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 uh, way to involve some children in those kinds of activities when maybe that's been difficult before. All right, let's move on to number two, which is an insertion that I'm adding. And it, it reminded me of another way that I would play with a flashlight, and that's hiding under a blanket. So let's talk about all the things you could do with blankets. Oh, my goodness, how many times do we have our little friends who need their special little blankets to be able to calm down and regulate after they've fallen apart? And so I think um, using a flashlight so that you can build a little fort, or even if you're not doing that formally, if you're just getting under that blanket with a child with that flashlight, tons of fun there. I think you could do some great things with social skills here, with eye contact, with joint attention. If you have a child who rarely looks at your face, this might be a great way to entice him and give him a reason to pay attention to you by shining that light on your face as you're both under that blanket together. So I think that would be great. Other things that you can do with a blanket, of course, you can play peekaboo, and I play peekaboo with a blanket all the time, especially for my friends who've needed to calm down with their little blankets. 
and I'm thinking that that calming down period is taking a little too long and that I need to do something to interject myself back into their their little worlds there. So peekaboo would be a great thing to do. Another fun thing to do with a blanket is pulling a child around on the blanket. I call this playing choo-choo. And so putting a child on the blanket, and you can do a cute little social routine or your own verbal routine, come up with something. I like to say, ooh, let's play choo-choos. Ooh, ooh. Who's ready to ride the choo-choo train? Are you ready? And then get them on there. And then, you know, you can do some counting like here comes the choo-choo. One, two, three, go. And then pull them across the room. And you can do it slowly. You can do it quickly. I've had some kids fall off, though, when I've gotten a little too excited about playing choo-choo and pulled the blanket right from underneath them and you know, even bonked their little heads as they fall backwards. Don't do that. But playing choo-choo can be a fun um, thing to do with the blanket. Of course, you can swing a child in a blanket. You can have mom help you with this or even an older sibling. I've had kids you know, that are eight or nine or ten or even in that preteen period if they're still kind of wanting to hang around during therapy while you're there for home visits, give them a job. They can help you swing a child. And, again, come up with a little song or I call these verbal routines and you're going to say the same thing or sing the same thing every single time you play this game so that the child begins to expect what words come next, and eventually we hope to hear those words. You're building that uh, automatic speech again, and, and that repetitiveness and predictability is huge in helping a child learn what to say. So come up with your, you know, whatever you might say. If it's a child who doesn't have very much language, you might just keep it really simple, like saying, swing, 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 stop. And then you could say, you know, ready, set, go, swing, 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 stop. You know, some moms like to count 10 and then um, throw a child kind of off the blanket onto the couch or the bed. That's a lot of fun. Uh, any kind of thing like that. Just, again, tons of fun for a child. That kind of game with a blanket is very calming and very regulating. I like to do that when a child is just, or even even before we get to that point, when I can feel a tantrum coming on, and maybe another trick or two of mine has not worked, and I'm thinking, what can I do here? I want to keep this child from going into full-blown tantrum or meltdown. Being in a blanket is a great activity, and it's a way to help a child focus and Pull it back together because you're providing gentle, calming, rhythmic motion. So swinging in a blanket is a winner. Another thing that I like to do with a blanket is using it like uh, a parachute. This huge parachute that preschool teachers like to use or if you go to a little gym program where all the children they're usually in the shape of a circle and all the children grab a loop or somehow hold on to the edge of the parachute, you can do the same thing with the blanket. And so um, come up with some little games. And, again, it won't be quite as fun as the parachute because it's not going to stay in air as long. You know, it won't have the same little, you know, aerodynamic properties that that parachute would because the material is probably different. But you can still have lots of fun with that. If you have a group of children, say siblings in a home or even in a daycare class, you could put objects onto the blanket and bounce them or shake them and have the child select what object comes next. Or if you're working still really at the receptive language level, you could have three or four little things that, and you're going to tell the child to get which one goes on the parachute next and that's how you, or on the blanket next. And that's how I've used this game a lot. So you might have a ball and a baby doll and another, you know, maybe a stuffed puppy or whatever. And again, it doesn't have to really make sense. You could have Thomas the Train there. You could use whatever you're working, a book, whatever you're working on that the child needs to identify receptively. Again, this is such a novel way to use that kind of activity that you may get better attention from a child who doesn't routinely want to say that you. So just another idea for you to have in your repertoire of things that you could do with the blanket. All right, let's move on. 
boy, we're already halfway through, and I've only talked about two toys here. So we've got to go a little bit faster. The next idea that uh, was listed in the article was a shark sweeper. Now, that's a particular brand of a cordless vacuum cleaner. Boy, don't toddlers love vacuums. And I can't say that I would would ever put this in my toothy bag <laughs> to take the child home. And I, I don't have a cordless vacuum here at work. Um, that I would use for this. But, but if I were doing home visits and a, a mom told me that a child liked the cordless vacuum and, again, the hand kind, I think that that would be a good way to um, do something that the kid already liked. And, again, you might do this activity when you're losing a child, when you've tried some other things and nothing seems to be working or if you have a kid who's particularly dysregulated on a certain day and mom says, God, he loves vacuums, well, then play with the darn vacuum. <laughs> what are some things that you could do with it? You certainly can work on prepositions with this. And by that, you know, prepositions are our location words. So we're going to, you know, of course, do on and off. But you can, if you have the handheld kind, you can vacuum up on the wall. You can vacuum down on the floor. You can work on what's like here and there. You could certainly do under, although that's a later developing preposition. You know, not, under is not a preposition of a target unless a child already, you know, is doing the other ones, the other age-appropriate ones, in, out, off, on, up, down. Until a kid has mastered understanding those, I probably wouldn't introduce under, but you can certainly say it, you know, as you're talking about all the different places you can vacuum. You could vacuum on the couch. Um, you could vacuum, oh gosh, even, you know, in your sock or whatever. You know, what, just make it up. And again, sometimes the crazier we do, the better, because children really, really like that. So that would be a way um, that that you could entice the kid. Our kids who really need kind of a visual buzz to stay with you, and by that I like a lot of visual stimulation. If you can see through it and see those little bristles turn, I what better way to capture a child's attention and work on that joint attention piece where they're looking at you and looking at the object and you're really sharing that experience together. For some kids, don't do a ton of talking while you are playing with this sort of thing unless you're really using lots of exclamatory words or play sounds. So you could try to mimic the same sound that the vacuum cleaner makes. So for a kid who hops a lot, you know, he does a lot of hmm to kind of block out all that internal noise in his little body, you know, and, and mom's already told you that he likes vacuum cleaners. That might be a great way to kind of entice that humming or elicit that humming imitatively. And by that I mean he's not doing it because he started doing it. He's doing it because he's copying you. He's repeating you and, and teaching a child how to talk. It's not with single words. <laughs> It's by imitating actions, and then when we move a little further through that hierarchy, it's imitating these kinds of play sounds or these things that aren't even real words yet. So that might be an idea that might work for lots and lots of kids. Another way that I would use this vacuum activity is for a kid to follow directions so that you're saying, again, well, let's go vacuum the stairs or let's vacuum by the door or vacuum, um, vacuum the chair. So that, again, they're listening for that verbal direction, and then they're able to follow through with completing that command. And that would be a fun way to get to do it. Now, I can see how you might really lose control of this activity so that the child's just going to go off and do his own thing. Don't let that happen. Do everything you can to try to stay somewhat in charge of the vacuum cleaner and what you're going to do and make yourself really fun so that the kid wants to include you as part of this activity. Uh, and if a child is so um, obsessed with the vacuum cleaner, for lack of a better word, and can't share it, now this is not going to be the activity that you would use therapeutically. But if he will let you do that, I think it would be a nice, nice way to involve yourself in something that he already likes, particularly for a kid, again, who might have a hard time including you in play anyway. So you can do a lot of things, and, and you're really targeting that social piece but you're taking his preferred interest, which, again, might be a little different than a child who likes more traditional toys, but I think it would be a great way um, to do that, so another great idea. The next one that she lists are those handheld massagers. 
So what would you do with these things? Now, OTs like these toys uh, because of the vibration. And again, for a lot of kids, it's calming. For some kids, though, it's arousing. And by that, I mean that our, our kids who have that low registration level, they're really kind of not doing too much of anything unless we really get them pepped up. A vibrating toy would be a great way to get them paying better attention, activate those little um, their little attention centers so that they are um, more alert and more focused with what you're doing. I would work on body parts with this kind of toy. You know, I would say, oh, let's put it on your foot. And then, you know, let the massager massage the, the, your little friend's foot for a while. Or, you know, if you're doing, uh, if you're kind of past that and you're working on pronouns, that my versus your, oh, so many kids struggle with that, with really learning that pronoun. So what you really have to do is teach that with a concept that they already know. And again, when we get to this language level, and from you know that's really more a thirty-month skill that that discriminating my versus your. You know, typically developing children will do it more quickly than that, or younger than that. But it's on our test at around thirty months or two and a half. So you, for, for a kid like this who's working on that and you, you're using the massage or anything really, using body parts or a clothing item because they already know that information or certainly should know that information before you would ever target a higher level language goal like <laughs> uh, understanding my versus your. But you could do it this way. You could say, you know, put it on my finger. Or now put it on your knee. And so, again, you're taking a piece of information that they already know, those body parts, pairing it with that pronoun to target that. So I would, I would do body parts with those um, massagers. Okay. The next everyday item that she's recommended are using real tools. Now, how many of you had children who were obsessed with hammers and screwdrivers and any any real tool. Now, certainly I bought my share of toy tools for both of our boys, but what they really liked was getting daddy's tools out. And so look for maybe those garden tools. That's what Karen Lang has suggested in this article. Or any other smaller, um, of course, you're not going to let kids hurt themselves, and you have to do this all with safety in mind. But any smaller tool set, that can be a ton of fun for kids. Back at Halloween, when I was looking for Halloween activities, I saw lots of Pinterest pages or Pinterest pins with um, hammering golf tees into a pumpkin. Or you could do that this time of year with, you know, just styrofoam or anything. Styrofoam's not always, you know, don't get the floral foam. That's not always the safest thing for, thing for kids. I think that's actually poisonous, but, you know, do pay attention to some safety when you're when you're coming up with activities, but any kind of material like styrofoam that you're going to let the hammer and again a golf tee is a great thing to do. Any other little peg, those little pegs look like the the little triangle games that you play at Cracker Barrel. Those kinds of things would be great to hammer into that um, kind of texture. So, of course, you can elicit exclamatory words here with, you know, bang, 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 or boom, 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 or pow, 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 or even ouch, you know, when the kid might hurt himself with this. Or you could stick your finger there and say ouch. And for a kid who's really mesmerized by that activity and not letting you play and doesn't really care if you're there or not, that's a great way for a child to realize that you're there and recognize that you're there and include you. Is, is somehow make it so that you're pretending that you've gotten hurt as you're playing together. And it's a great way to draw that attention back to you. If, if they don't respond with you saying, ouch, or owie, fake cry. That's another great one, a great way for kids to stop what they're doing and really pay attention, even if they're just wondering, like, what has that crazy lady done this time? They're still stopping and recognizing you. And, again, that joint attention piece where they're including you, where you're sharing that experience together. So real tools are a fun way to do that, and certainly my own boys and girl loved playing with those kinds of construction-related materials when they were younger. So take a look at getting 
that. And that's also a great fine motor activity for our our OT friends and our uh, special instructor developmental therapy friends who need to also think about that uh, fine motor piece when they're planning treatment activities. All right, the next category that she's about of everyday items are giving a big box of cool stuff. And boy, do I like this one. And again, you can find so many mommy bloggers who have really perfected these kinds of activities where they can give you tons and tons of ideas of what to do with, as this author calls it, raw materials. And so things like an empty box. You know, how, how many times do we joke about that our children prefer the box to the present that we actually spent money on <laughs> for a birthday or for Christmas? And so empty containers of any kind, the oatmeal containers. I've, I've got right now, we've been on a real cottage cheese kick at our house. And last night when I was cleaning, oh, gosh, I bet I had 10 empty cottage cheese containers. And I'm going to bring some of those to work to use as containers during activities. Kids love these kinds of things. If you have a top, it's all the better because you can hide things in them and then shake the container and you know, make a big deal about, ooh, what's in there? What's that? What's that? Let's shake it. And then you can knock on the top to open it up and reveal whatever special treasure you've placed in there. And you can repeat that over and over and over again with tons of little items. You can use, you know, I always call these McDonald's toys. You know, all those little characters and objects that you collect in Happy Meals year after year after year. I hope you're saving all of those and including those in your toy rotation. And again, any kind of little character, if the child that you're seeing is into Dora, you can buy a little Dora and Diego and Swiper and all those other fun little characters. And for years and years and years, I took that kind of, for a lot of kids, be about all I would have to take into a session with a container or two, and you can just do that nearly the whole time. And so, again, look for those containers, keep those kinds of things. If you are doing lots of structured visual tasks, lots of teach materials, and, again, that's T-E-A-C-C-H, and that's the Autism Program from North Carolina, they really teach you how to make those tasks those little activities that are cognitively driven and visually driven, you'll need all sorts of those materials to make those games. And I've talked about those activities here on the show. If you need some visual representations of that, you can check out. Um, I've, I've done some of those with Therapy Tip of the Week, which in 2013 I didn't do a lot of Therapy Tips of the Week. I did a lot of that in 2012, but that's coming back. That's on the calendar for 2014. Resurrecting that um, that little feature of TeachMeToTalk.com so that I have those videos published more regularly. But if you'll look way back, January 2012, the very first therapy tip of the week that I did, talked about making some of these activities with pipe cleaners and with uh, paint samples and with clothespins, lots of those little activities. And again, they're really visually driven for our children who understand very much language yet and he really needs to learn that to complete an activity that tasks have a beginning and a middle and an end and so all of those activities and games that we can make with uh, paper towel tubes and cereal boxes and uh, popsicle sticks and those kinds of things so don't forget about using um, those kinds of materials too. The next thing that the author recommended was a box of toiletries. And I'm sure our OT friends, little shaving cream samples and scented lotions and gels and uh, Band-Aids. Band-Aids are huge. I cannot play with a baby doll without wanting to get out some Band-Aids because that's just so much fun for our little friends. And again, you can work on body parts with um, Band-Aids where you're telling the child to you know, ooh, the baby got a boo-boo on her knee. Put that Band-Aid on her knee or on her elbow or on her back or on her belly, you know, on her on her mouth. You can make it as simple or as complex to um, meet the child where they are developmentally. So Band-Aids are tons of fun for that kind of thing. Um, using baby powder when you're pretending to change the baby diaper, that can be a lot of fun. Now, for your kids with respiratory challenges, I would not recommend that. And, and for me as someone, who 
can't always do certain smells because of my allergies, you're going to want to be careful with that too. But take a look at, at using some of those things. For our children who have real tactile aversion to textures, using shaving cream or playing with uh, hand sanitizer or hand gel would be a fun, fun way um, to introduce that so that it's not quite as icky and so that you're making that playful and a lot of fun. And again, if you're not quite sure what you're doing with that, you may need to buddy up with an OT so they can tell you how to make that um, so that the child can tolerate that activity a, a lot more easily than he or she might. The next category is a box of office supplies. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my own daughter, when she was two, would have, even now, you know, on a, on a sick day or something, might prefer a box of office supplies to anything else. Maybe not anything else, but you get what I'm saying. A roll of scotch tape can be a ton of fun in a therapy session. And, again, you can do some body part things with it. You can do some prepositions with it. You can certainly do descriptive words with teaching. Sticky. Um, or you might even use some exclamatory words here with yucky or icky or whatever word you want to come up with. And so... Um, those kinds of toys or, or non-toys, those kinds of objects can be so much fun for kids. Uh, putting sticky notes all over the house in different locations. And again, you can do some great little receptive language games. And, it, and make it where it's more like a little race. If you have siblings, you could say, here's your sticky note. Go put it on the refrigerator. And then run. Everybody's going to go together and watch the child put it on their refrigerator. And then you're all going to go back to your starting point. And then you're going to say, go put your sticky on a chair. And, you know, and the child has to find a chair or the bathroom or, you know, your bed, whatever. And this, again, might be a fun way to involve siblings in the session while you're targeting that receptive language piece. And if you have a child who's not very good at kind of following the daily routine and understanding a lot of directions at home, if you have a child who, who mom says, gosh, he never can go to his room and get anything, you know, I know that he knows ball, but if I say, go get your ball from your room, he never knows what I'm talking about. This might be a fun way to really, you know, you're going to work on the command she's talking about, but go get your ball in your room, but you also need to follow that up and make sure that the child really understands the, what your room means. And so this kind of game might be a way to target some of those household locations. So I, I think that would be a good one. All right, she's included a whole lot of ideas for um, kind of off-the-wall we're not going to talk about those. We're going to move on a little bit to, let's talk about the last few in that category. She lists stomp rockets, and those are fun, especially for little boys who have lots and lots of energy and who kind of want to stomp around anyway, and for kids who need that heavy work and that movement piece. I've had a hard time, though, finding stomp rockets that consistently work. Um, so she's list, she has a link in hers. And so I might have to check that out and see if that's a different brand than what I've tried. But especially your preschoolers, if you're working with, you know, some kids who are almost three or even some, you know, three- and four-year-olds, five-year-olds would love this activity. Um, I bet our friends who are PTs use this all the time with children who are ready to work on that higher-level balance, you know, on one foot. And so take a look at that kind of toy. She lists a kazoo, and again, a speech-language pathologist, you know, you probably collect things from the clearance uh, section of the birthday party aisle all the time with horns and whistles and and um, all of those fun little things. And so you may take a look at that. Um, for our kids who have real oral motor aversion, who have some feeding issues and who need more exposure to um, things in their mouth, that might be a great way to really work on that, um, normalizing their sensation there. I could probably do a whole show on the pros and cons of using those kinds of things, and I, I certainly include that in my uh, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in, co in Toddlers course. I'm not going to talk about that now. I'm not going to teach the course on the podcast. I had sworn that off. But you might take a look at using some of those kinds of toys. Another thing that she mentioned was beanbag toss. And, uh, 
is how many of us have children on our caseloads who just want to throw, no matter what the toy is they want to throw. So she's saying she has a child who has the urge to throw things all the time and that most toys are not safe for that, so she bought some bean bags so that the child could use it for that purpose and, and fulfill whatever little need there is there. Many times children I've found in therapy throw when they're finished with something and they don't know how to ask you to stop and move on. So be sure that you're looking for those cues that you need to transition. Some children throw toys because they don't know how to play with toys, and so you've really got to work on those play skills. And, again, that can, that can go back to be a fine motor problem. It can be a cognitive problem. They don't understand how to use the toy, what the purpose is. So your job there is to model, 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 show them what to do over and over and over again so they really learn that so you're addressing kind of that underlying need. But if you have children who, again, have that urge to throw, beanbag games are a fun way to kind of do that. Um, I've, I've played with beanbags and thrown them in a basketball hoop, and you can pick up a cheap one at Dollar Tree or whatever little dollar place you have in your town, and beanbags are a fun way to kind of do that, especially if you don't want to play ball in the house and you feel like that might be a little bit disruptive to a family. You can do beanbags for that. If you're crafty, you can make beanbags. I always say I'm creative, but I'm not so crafty, and sometimes my Pinterest fails are funnier than the ones that, that I see listed on Pinterest. But you can make really cheap beanbags with just um, pieces of felt from Walmart and I think those felt sheets are like gosh, you know, fifteen cents a sheet. And you can eat hot with them and you can go over and buy a bag of beans from the grocery section and that's a cheap little um therapy tool that you could have for a long, long time. And again, you do tons of stuff with that. You could throw them in a box, you could throw them in a laundry basket, you could throw them in a bucket, a coffee can, whatever, you know, the cottage, big cottage cheese container, whatever a family might have on hand, that would be a fun thing to do. You could uh, work on object identification where you're going to, you know, if you're setting up your Fisher-Price animals and you have a kid who's a little bit destructive anyway, that would be a fun thing to do. Throw your beanbag, you know, let's hit the cow or let's knock over the horse or, you know, do it with zoo animals or do it with baby dolls or whatever. And, again, you're kind of meeting the child where they are developmentally because they're going to do it anyway. And so you've made it a fun part of therapy. You've introduced something that's a little bit novel that, again, a kid might want to do anyway. If you don't have beanbags and you're way too – Whatever your issue is, you're cheap, you don't want to buy it, you're a little bit lazy or you're just time-strapped, don't have time to go get all those materials, why not use just a rolled-up ball of socks to do the same thing? You know, fold your socks together. I call it rolling them in a ball. I don't know what you might call that. But that would serve the same purpose. And you could certainly play those same little games. And how many families have laundry laid all over the place on the couch when you're there to do therapy anyway? So it might be a fun little thing to do with that. All right. She has a, her whole next section is called Attention Grabbing Quiet Toys. She's listed a marble run here. We have to be really careful in early intervention that we're not using choking hazards or things that a child can swallow while you're there during the session. But you can get the infant version of that kind of toy that uses a, a larger ball, even if it's, you know, again, just large enough not to be swallowed. Uh, but those kinds of toys are so much fun. And I, I consider those toys, not necessarily an everyday object. So wanted to mention that. She also mentions folk toys. And these are those traditional toys that maybe your grandparents had. You might, uh, our, our son, took, one of our sons took violin lessons. And his violin teacher had all these kinds of little toys out in a little basket. And, and my kids would um, I would have to pull them away from those kinds of toys so that they could go into the lesson. But little things like Jacob's Ladder, you know, those little blocks that, that fold over, you know, that are attached with the ribbons, those kinds of toys are so much fun. And even for toddlers, especially for toddlers who, again, don't like toys, there are little guys who are on the spectrum <laughs> who need just enough of something to be a little bit different for them to want to pay attention 
So look for those kinds of toys. And I've found those kinds of things before, again, in the toy department at Cracker Barrel. You could also get them at um, those higher-end kind of toy stores or websites like Fat Brain Toys. And the Friendship Circle book that I referred to at the beginning of the show, the ABCs of Toys, the Guide to Find the Right Toy for Your Tribal Special Needs, it had another article on what websites found to be most helpful with toys that you might not have known about. And again, these might be a little bit higher end um, websites for toys, but I love places like that because I can find things that that just your regular Walmart or Toys R Us might not have. So really interesting toys. So take a look at that. The last one, I can't believe we didn't get through this list. We'll, we'll finish the show, not next week, because Tatiana will be on next week, but the week after that we'll finish the show because I have other great ideas that I want to give you. But let's wrap up with this one today. Toys with magnets. Now, she calls this magformers, and she says that the magnets in this building set are encased in plastic so they're no small pieces. And, guys, we have to be so careful with magnets because when they're swallowed, they can be fatal for our little friends. Um, there have been, you know, you can Google that if you've never heard those those awful news stories where children have died with, you know, bowel obstructions because the magnets have um, have come together and caused, again, horrific outcomes for children who swallowed them. So you want to be ultra careful. I like to use magnetic toys that are a little bit bigger. I have uh, magnetiles, which are clear. They're acrylic tiles and I, I build with them like they're blocks. Now these are pricier, but again, if you're going to work for 20 more years, who cares? <laughs> you spend the money now and they are very durable and you can use them. I make roads for cars and trucks. I build houses with them for kids, certainly for our kids who are in the build it up and knock it down to say, uh-oh, 25 times. If you're sick to death of doing it with blocks, you could do it with magnetiles. And, again, these toys have a, a big, a wide range of itty-bitties who are just into building little towers, or you could use them with children who are really doing a lot of pretend play, and you're making cities, or you're making, you'll build a garage for the cars, or you'll build, you know, a construction shed for the bulldozers, or whatever you're playing. And I have great, great luck with magnetiles. There's another set called uh, Magnus Sticks, and this this particular set might be might not be sold anymore but you could probably still get it on ebay but it's a set with a a a ball with a magnet in it and then i call them sticks or i guess they're more like poles so that each uh each end of the stick also has a magnet and they may have been recalled because some of the magnets came off and children swallowed them so use these kinds of toys under adult supervision Uh, but that's been a fun one for lots and lots of kids. We were, they're interested in it because it, the toy holds together. Um, and again, uh, it, ball is such a keeper, so you can do it for our kids who are just beginning to be verbal and, and be imitative and, or for kids who have bilabial that you're trying every ball toy you know to man to, to get extra math practice with that word, those little magnetics, I think that's what they're called, um, are a fun way to do that. Any kind of little magnet toy is fun. Um, magnetic wands where you have either, little, again, little things that look like marbles or, or little tiles. I got a cute one last year off Amazon. I think my friend um, Kelly Nelson showed me that or told me about that or somehow mentioned that, and I, I got on Amazon and got one. And it's just a cute, cute toy that I've had lots of luck with. And, again, particularly with children who aren't into toys. And, but they like these kinds of things because they're just different enough so that they want to pay attention and they want to check out uh, what you're doing there. So magnetic toys are great ones. I have a really old Bob the Builder set of magnetic blocks and the little vehicles that come with them, Lofty and Rolly and um, I can't remember, Muck, all the names of those Bob the Builder trucks, they were had a little magnetic piece on their loader part or the part that would put on a bulldozer 
And so it could attach and hook and you could build with the blocks. And again, I don't know if that's sold anymore. You know, that was popular, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But I've hung on to that set and used it for years and years. And that's another another reason that sometimes you might spend 10 or $20 more than you would want to spend with a toy because you're going to have it the rest of your career. And I promise, even if something, even if the character kind of goes out of, out of vogue, even if the show's not on anymore, you're still going to have parents that are breaking out those VHS tapes and still somehow have a VCR that works <laughs> and are still playing those tapes from their older kids or they're, they're playing with the toys from their brothers and sisters or at their grandparents' house. And so you'll find some kids who still like those characters or who, again, have never seen Bob the Builder, but you know they're going to love magnetic blocks. And so you'll hang on to these and that's your justification for building up your inventory and, again, spending money on your craft so that you can have those toys for the rest of your career. All right, so we are at the end of this hour, and we only got through, um, well, we got through nearly the whole list, but I want to add some things that she hasn't added. So this will be our topic two weeks from today, uh, which will be just in time for Christmas, and again, so many moms are going to say to you, what can I get in professionally when our friends don't like toys? So maybe, just maybe, you can take some of these ideas and use them in your therapy sessions and then give them to moms so that they're going to know what they can do at home just for fun with these kinds of kids. I'm Laura Mine, pediatric psychologist, and that's all for today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.